Welcome to episode 13 of the End Product Podcast. This week, joining me and Stish, we have got Professor Techers. And as we come on recording, we're talking about the kind of the, the false dawn that was the community announcement on Wednesday. I think there was a little kind of thing that came out from Nicholas in the Discord or somebody intimated that it was going to be like 25% of it was going to be around football or something. I had no expectations around football, but it was all baseball. And we're just maybe talking about some of the stuff that the baseball announcement might signify or foreshadow maybe something we might see further down the road. One thing yeah. I thought, Deckers, just on the note of what you were talking about on that, I thought it was quite good from baseball that if they were to reverse engineer it back into football, is like some of these positions on the SO7 seem to cover like a few positions on the pitch and maybe, you know, they're talking about tech that might be able to come across or whatever. Maybe they could eventually differentiate between fullback and centre back, for example, or like winger and striker, that kind of thing. If that's maybe another tech thing that they maybe now have access to, I don't know. That could be interesting. Yeah, instead of like the extra player, you could have like a wide player. That'd be quite interesting. Should that's the question as well? Is should should there be a different scoring matrix? That was one of the things I noticed about the uh, the baseball. Yeah. Obviously, there's 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 quite an intricate scoring matrix per position. I um, know there'll be definitely people in favour and against, but should fullbacks be scored differently to centre backs? That's the question. Um, it's, yeah, I think for me, I you know I didn't actually go into it with any expectation of football. Um, you know, I just was like intrigued to know what they've been working on and what they're building. I think the sort of geek in me was reading between the lines in a lot of what was shared and thinking, okay, well, what what tech have they built for this and how could that potentially improve the football product in the future? Um, one of the things I think I found quite interesting, well, there was two. The first one was around the concept of the game week closing or locking when the first match kicks off which could be really interesting. I think it's very different from rolling locks, which the community have talked about in the past, but you know that would essentially create the idea of a flexible deadline, which you know, imagine that what would happen if there was a deadline for setting your Asia team or your Champ Europe team, and the Champ Europe team was maybe a couple of hours later, and that gave you the opportunity to listen to the European press conferences that normally take place on a Friday morning. There's little things like that that I don't think fundamentally shift the gameplay in favor of one group of people or another um but it it would be you know i think quite interesting to think about that as a potential option whereby you might have a few extra hours to set the team should you so wish to yeah the thing i found really interesting about that is we would probably then suggest that global and under 23 would probably log on the first just match and that would be global like you know just whatever but it does give you that extra reward for playing maybe the region that might be seen as being harder but if you can come in with that intel of knowing that you know the striker is going to play or this guy didn't make training you hear the press conferences like you were saying for the european games because they came out between like 11 and 1 on like the friday normally and if the first game on a friday night what we're talking about seven o'clock for a bundesliga game or something you know gives plenty of like normal average job you know the the man in the street player finishes work come back you know what's the news da, 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 get up to scoop for everything first games at seven game week kicks off you know, you've got a few hours to kind of live your life if you like and then get into the game week which i think if you're in that territory in that region that'll be the same for everyone in america and asia respectively in their time zones you know um that's yeah, that's class so i think that's that's one of the, the big challenges i want to like the uh, what i hear a lot from 
friends that are playing the game in the States is that a lot of the time they're having to get up super, super early to set their teams because we are closing the game week when Asia, we need, we need to close it for Asia. Um, you know, and it, it is truly a global game, but it does, you know, I feel like this as an idea could be quite interesting without adding a significant lift on the user. You know, one of the, the big drawbacks, I think, with a rolling lock is that you are then wedded to your phone or your computer all weekend looking for any like smidgen of information that might give you an advantage, which will definitely benefit one group of users over another. Whereas I feel like the idea of having a couple of extra hours and, you know, whatever time the first game kicks off, that's when it closes. That's what you know. Um, I don't know. I think it maybe adds something to it. Um, but yeah, one for discussion. Maybe that was just me reading between the lines too much of, you know, watching watching the uh, watching the talk and thinking, not thinking, oh, baseball, I'm not interested, but thinking, oh, what have they built for baseball that might work for football? I think that's one thing that's quite interesting when you think about it. Um, obviously, we've spoken just there about the baseball game and what they might do. I think one thing that we haven't seen in terms of like improvements or tweaks in a while or, or actually like in general for quite a while now is we haven't seen um, much change to like the scoring matrix or the gameplay. Um, we've seen like improvements in sort of like new new game modes and uh, ways to win and you know like we've we've seen like the the kind of onboarding experience changed a little bit and even even like the lobby like the way that teams are selected but we haven't seen any tweaks to my knowledge on the scoring matrix or or anything like that you know like it, there there were that we've had discussions down the years about things like big chance missed is like the classic one it's a little bit it's a little bit objective and it kind of depends on like who the opta person is watching the game and stuff like that and uh yeah i just wondered uh do any of you expect to see sort of gameplay tweaks uh, i think if they're going to do it you'd normally expect to see or hear of that maybe before all of the european divisions kind of reopen what are your thoughts on that like are we expecting to see any of those anytime soon you think I thought the time for it was like now, you know, I was doing a, I was actually doing a member stream when the thing had happened and uh, we were having a wee chat about it just as, in the warm up for it. And that's what I was thinking is like, yeah, game week, like 296 or so, kind of when all the big European games come back is like a month from now. And if there was going to be any significant pre-European, you know, new European season changes, you've got to think they're going to give us a, they'd have to give us about a month's notice, four weeks notice, mm. you'd think, you know, so surely the the time is nigh yeah i i was i think so as well like the fact that we haven't heard anything like a, a, a scoring tweak affects the market as well though doesn't it that's the thing is like they would have to give you plenty of notice on something like that a little bit like they did with the goalkeeper rule coming in like not being able to use commons they they gave us that months and months in advance and i think that if they were going to tweak the scoring matrix around you know like possession lost for fullbacks or if we were going to get into like wide wide players, those kind of position positional tweaks, or even other things like um, you know like bigger things like decisive actions, like if they decided on you know the way pen, penalties won, you know if penalties if you get a penalty won, but then the player misses the pen, then that's taken away. But if they score it, then they get the points for penalty won, but they still won the penalty whether the player misses it or not. So think little things like that. It's just like I feel feel like there are places that could potentially be tweaked that we haven't seen yet 
um but yeah definitely i'm starting to get that vibe now that we're going to have another season at least another year maybe before we see any of those major kind of scoring matrix tw- um tweaks well what tech said earlier on had me thinking you know with the baseball one maybe there will be like a new kind of separate matrix for maybe even goalkeepers will just get a completely new matrix you know and they have a wee bit more of a fairer crack at the whip maybe what do you th- what, what would you think on that positional kind of take on it techers um, so for me, I think it's quite interesting when you look at it because I sort of dive into the Opta feed and actually what comes across. So I think I, I have an idea of like what could be possible. And the one that really interests me is possession lost relative to the position on the pitch. So if you think about it at the moment, oh, we have the concept of a final third pass and you get extra points for the completion of a final third pass. So by that logic, I would love to see the concept whereby the possession loss is it's a reduced penalty if the possession is lost in the final third. And the reason I say that, and in goalkeepers, it pains me greatly. Because, you, you know, goalkeepers, if you think about it, they get three points for a save. Maybe they get a couple extra points if it's a dive save or save inside the box. All it takes is three goal kicks and they've wiped out a save. So there's nothing that pains me more than like if you've got an Asian goalkeeper and they are instructed to play it long from the goal kick and they're lumping it up to a forward who's never, ever going to win it in the air. You just see points leaking away for the entire game when you're watching it. And, and the reason I say this is because I think what Sober have to be very, very careful of is not favouring one position heavily over another. Because you know the moment that they announce this, there's going to be people like myself who are like, oh, hang on a minute, I know exactly <laughs> who that's going to benefit. And you watch the market shift within minutes. So yeah. I think you've got to be very careful to not, like, you know, suddenly make it that fullbacks are meta, for example. But then that's why I quite like this, because I wouldn't ever say just reduce possession lost. Because if someone's giving it away on the edge of their own box, then absolutely they deserve to be punished but at the same time like long goal kicks or crosses where you know the, the forward's gone up for a 50 50 and the defenders just won it and you know that the your players then that's delivered that cross in has just got a negative one i feel that you could get a much more balanced scoring matrix and a fairer scoring matrix if the possession loss was considered and the reason i suggest this is because opta has the data it's not like a pie in the sky suggestion mm. it's something that could feasibly be implemented because you know, if you look at goalkeepers, they are their upside is significantly capped, and it is incredibly frustrating when you see goalkeepers that like put in an absolute worldie of a performance. Maybe they've made like five saves, but then they've taken fifteen goal kicks and end up <laughs> with an AA of like three. And you're just like, oh. yeah, nightmare. So gutting. Yeah, because a goalkeeper can like literally like that. That decisive is massive for goalkeepers at the moment, isn't it? Like, I think I was sat watching um. Tanny like into the last sort of five ten minutes of the game recently and had a great game and uh, and also so happened to uh, Joe Hyunwoo in, in his last game as well had a great game conceded in like the third to last minute and then you're just seeing like that loss of decisive plus like a shot not saved plus like you lose the decisive but you also lose about seven points on top of that decisive that are equated to like missing a shot on target or like a missed save or all the other things that come with it. Um, yeah, there's loads of there's loads of little things I'm sure that can be tweaked. But like you said, if if the Opta stats are there and they're being recorded, then there's 
you know, like it's not pie in the sky. There must be other ways. So like from your experience of looking at these Opta uh, feeds, do, is every is every loss of um, possession recorded in like what third of the field it is happened in yet? As part of the field, you get the data of where the pass was originated and where the pass was completed. So it's a derived metric from that. So like when you see long ball completed or final third pass completed, it's essentially referencing the data points that show where the pass started and where the pass finished. So out so, of interest then, is is there a metric for a long pass completed? Like what is what get what kind of like determines if it's a long or short pass? Like does it have to pass through X amount of yards or is it like from one sort of third of the field into the next? I'm not I'm not exactly sure on the distance. I don't have that to hand, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's like essentially a pass of a certain length because sometimes you see it sideways as well. So yeah. Like if you have a fullback that's like you know maybe swung the ball to the other side of the pitch, they can get a long pass even though it's still within the same third of the pitch. It's laterally moved long enough to trigger that metric. Yeah. As a holder of Osmar and Lee Bomb at Saul, like I always get excited when those big long sweeping sideways passes go. I think, yeah. is that a long pass? <laughs> I'll take that if it is. Yeah. They do love a long pass across the defence and uh, that's part of the reason that they've been so op- overpowered for for me in my in like my defensive a- Asian sides and U- U23 and Lee Hanbom's case as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like one of the things I, I really wanted to pick your brain on actually is you must notice this as well, but like it gets harder and harder now where so many players have, we have great access to so rare data and all of these amazing apps and obviously the knowledge base is there on Twitter for people giving us tips and pointers on different regions and things like that. But one of the things um, I wanted to, to pick your brain about is because you're someone who kind of dives into the stats and the Opta, um, has that become more and more of a thing that you feel that you need to do to identify players before it's obvious, you know, like if as soon as they hit the so rare scoring matrix you can already see like what they're doing in the, in the games, even if they're not minted yet. You know, like one of the players I kind of identified a, a season back was Tom Hay. I was watching him for Hiramveen and I thought, I'm going to follow this guy. As soon as his cards come, I'm having him. But by the time his cards came, he had like uh, half a season's worth of scores and he was hitting big scores. So there, the, the, his price, he was priced in as soon as he hit the market. How do you identify... Are there any things that you're looking for when it comes to like trying to identify a player who maybe hasn't really hit that matrix yet? Like in particular, I'm thinking of maybe in the U23 sense, like maybe a player who has come on for X amount of minutes. So their scores on so red don't look great because they've mostly hit into the like mid twenties from coming on a sub a few times. But from that time they've spent on the pitch, is there enough information for you to help determine like, right, there's a player that I think is going to have a breakout season next season. Like, what kind of things are you looking for to like give you that early signal on a player, maybe before the the so rare matrix has unveiled them to the world? Yeah, absolutely. And I think honestly, like this is this is one of the things I really enjoy. And this is you know when I look at my under twenty three players, I've actually got quite a fairly deep gallery now of under twenty three players that don't necessarily get into my SF five lineups each week, but are in that category of I've seen something that's that's got me excited. And, you know, where you talk about the, the prices being baked in, what I find is that the sort of general population within SoRare are very, very reactive to scores on, like, what's recorded. And, you know, look at SoRare data and they're like, oh, what's the, 
what scores have they recorded in the past. I think Zero Data have actually improved their tooling a little bit in this regard. So you can filter out when did they start, which was a sub-appearance, because otherwise, historically, people would just look at a sea of scores and go, scores are good, brilliant, I'm going to buy that guy, or, oh, their scores aren't very good. So for me, um, you know, why Scout? I just absolutely love it. Um, I'm looking at per 90 stats. So you can try and look at the adjusting for the minutes that they've been on the match so that you, yep. they are you're picking them up before everyone's really aware of them because you're thinking, oh, hang on a minute, this is there's something about this guy. He's, he's gone and, you know, like the, the per 90 figures adjusted are special if you pull them out. Um, you know, a couple of players I grabbed like that, um, Zebalos in Argentina, Boca, um, he was barely playing, but I looked at his per 90 stats um, and they really, really stood out. Now, the moment he does get 90 minutes, uh, he often doesn't get 90 minutes because the politics of Boca is just next level. <laughs> yeah. um, but when he does get 90 minutes, his AA tends to be up around the sort of 20-point mark, which if you think about that for an under-20 forward, yeah. forward is, is pretty pretty special. So I'm, I'm looking at those per 90 stats. So I've got the sort of list that you look at per position. So for defenders, I'm, you know, I'm looking for number of long passes i'm looking for dual win rate completion um you know basically what triggers the big points so yeah. i think you know first of all a deep understanding of the scoring matrix really helps um secondly adjusting them for the time the player spent on the pitch and thirdly is having an understanding of managerial tactics and how that impacts players so for me i i watch a ton of belgian football like it was like my way into so rare. I, I identified Belgian football as an affordable way of getting started and competing across Challenger and over under twenty three. I think it's a league that has a load of under twenty three players always coming through. It's a bit of a feeder league for other other uh, more uh, you know larger, more financially well off leagues in Europe. So you, you get a real high turnover of players coming through, and I was like, you know, that as someone that wasn't a true early adopter, I'm sure lots of people would probably call me a relative early adopter now but when I joined you know I'm sort of trying to compete against managers that are already fairly established and thinking okay how can I do that and under 23 because of the turnover it's obviously a lot of risk you might have a player that gets a bad transfer and suddenly they're not usable anymore but for me coming in I'm like okay well if I can use my knowledge and my scouting to stay on top of that it creates a really really big advantage and a big part of that is understanding the managerial tactics and what the role of the player is in the team. So I'll use sort of two examples here. Um, the first one was when Phil Clement, um, Philippe Clement, went to Monaco from Bruges. As soon as that happened, um, I bought Benoit Badiashile. And the reason was is that Badiashile was on my shortlist of, on Scout of players that had that capability of long passing um, of good dual win rate that's likely to tr trigger your double doubles and your triple triples and all those multipliers. And I knew that Clement from his time at Bruges really favours a possession-based game. He builds from the back and his centre-backs are really important in doing that. Um, at the time I bought him, Buddy Shilo's scores, he was actually injured at the time, but Buddy Shilo's scores were not too impressive whatsoever. The moment that he settled into Clement's system and they started building out from the back, I was just watching him. Like, there's one game he passed his way to 100 um, <laughs> because of uh, the understanding of what that player's abilities were 
and how do they fit within the system? Like Lehan Baum is a, a great example of that because you know Seoul are a possession-based team. So the moment that I saw him starting, I'm thinking, okay, young centre-back playing in a mm. possession-dominant team, yes, thank you very much. Like I will, I will sort of you know get involved in that. Um, the other one, and it's been quite interesting to watch this because he's pumped for a completely different reason, is Yari Basharan. Uh, Andalek. Yari has gone uh, like has been hyped to the next level in the last couple of weeks because he basically like scored five goals in two games against like completely pointless nothing opposition and everyone's like yay he's scoring goals and I'm like yay he's now playing as a number 10 and last season he was shunted out on the right wing yeah. and he was basically decisive dependent I know um and this comes back to the understanding of managerial tactics. Company favoured a 4-2-2-2, where he had most of the time Leo Rafailov and Yari Basharin taking the wide attacking forward, attacking midfielder roles. That is like the kiss of death for a midfielder card on so rare. Um, because you're not involved in the action, you tend not to get that much possession. Your AA game is is fairly limited. So I was really excited seeing Bashar and I was watching because Mazu, who's now joined Andalect from Union Sanjilova, he favours a 3-5-2. So straight away I was like, okay, well, that shift in formation that Andalect are likely to implement this off-season is going to benefit a couple of people. Um, it's going to be the outside centre-backs, um, who I believe is going to be Hannes Delcroix. Um, Wesley Hope as well, but he was a beast last season. So I don't. I was just thinking that he's just going to be good again. Um, so Stanley is Stanley going to be amongst it? You reckon Stanley and Soki is he still there next season? Actually, oh, he's a Bruges. Of course, he is. Yeah, yeah. I always get Bruges and Anderlecht mixed up. The two yeah. to be fair. I've done that. This is the second time on the podcast I've done that. Actually, that's all right. That's all I right. remember what player we were talking about last time, but I did the exact same thing. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so yeah, what I was going to say is that the, the centre-backs in that formation are the ones that sort of really stood out. And I was like, whoever gets the central attacking midfield role, who is behind what's probably going to be Fabio Silva and Esposito, who are a pretty tasty attacking lineup in their own right. I was like, whoever gets that role is going to be absolutely bossing it from an SFI perspective because they're going to be heavily involved in linking the play from midfielder to attack. So there I was saving up my ETH thinking I'm going to grab a Yari and then suddenly he scored a hat-trick in a friendly and everyone went nuts and piled into him. So I've kind of missed the boat on that one. But I think, you know, when you go back to that, the sort of the original question of, of how do I identify people, it's, it's essentially those, those three ways mm. is, is, you know, looking at what is their role in the team? What does the manager play? You know, how do you get those possession adjusted stats and what, what is relevant for their position, um, their minted position? Because you'll see yeah. some players, they have like two different um, cards minted. So then, you know, they're going to be one card will be favoured based on where they play on the pitch. So, like one example I'll give is um, Suslov of Groningen. Uh, I've got the forward version of his card, which is like incredibly rare because most of them now are all midfielder. When he was playing as a left winger. The forward card was absolutely incredible because he's getting fewer possession lost. But the trade-off was that he doesn't get defensive actions, um, which was fine when he was playing as a left winger because you're getting, 
you know, the, you're more likely to get higher possession loss than you are defensive actions. Last season, like halfway through the season, they shifted him to defensive midfielder, which I was like, oh, damn it. That's just fully swung him back into the, the midfielder card is better. And then this preseason, he's been playing as left back. So yeah. I've been like holding on to this card. I'm thinking, you know what? Actually, like this is a great, talented young card, talented young player. I've got the rarer version of the card. All he needs to do is play in one of those attacking three beyond the lone striker. And every season, the manager's moved him further and further back so that the actual now the midfielder card is probably going to be the better one. Because if you look uh, at um, the example I'll use is Mauro Junior at um, PSV. He's a midfielder card, but he was playing left back for most of the last season. You've also got Oblyakov as well at CSKA, who's a midfielder card that plays at left back. Um, that tends to work really well. Forward card at full back, not so well. Um, Jal Mario, I think it's Mario. I'm sure it's Jal Mario. There's a young guy at um, Porto who had a forward card um, but was playing right back, and his scores quickly uh, disintegrated overnight as a forward I card. I had one of those. I had G- Gabriel Goodmanson when he was at um, Groningen and mm-hmm. he played almost like as... Um, well, at Groningen, he played a bit further up. He played almost like as a flying wing back. And then since he moved to Lille, he's been in and out in rotation, but he doesn't get forward very much. So his forward card, pretty useless there, to be honest. Um, yeah, he's he. I got rid of him a while back. Um, but yeah, he was a good example of a forward card that didn't do a lot in those mm-hmm. sort of offensive... You mentioned Y Scout there, Quinny. I know, like you've got a background in coaching, and like, have you ever used Y Scout before? Is that something that you've ever uh, like used to kind of identify players uh, so five? Yeah, I've been on Y Scout for the last like, year and a bit or something. I normally cover it. Um, I, I did cover it for the last year in like, the member section of the channel, like going through the, the good thing about Y Scouts. Tickers will know as well. You get like, good access to video clips and stuff like that. Per ninety stats are good fun as well. And uh, one thing I, I've actually had a lot of fun with trying to do a bit of talent ID with on Sorier data is not just that combination of um, you know when they start and whatever, but also the the variance of cards like so midfield or forward or whatever, and then you can still go into it and change it to when the guy played centre mid, when the guy played right mid, when the guy played left winger, you know, and you can the level of detail you can really go into now to really find out what this guy's made of in like this kind of role or like that kind of role, I think it's quite valuable. And when you know the stuff that Deckers is talking about, like the manager plays such a way, the shape mm. will evolve to be like this, then uh, it's just been one step ahead of the curve. That's all it is. It's probably the best edge you can get really in this game. Yeah. Definitely. This, especially this like saying, especially now. With all that data that you've got, like if you can use your own head and your own thing, like eyes and minds and things, especially like managerial tactics, they're, that is like one kind of like grey area in terms of like what the what is readily available to most managers on the sites that we all kind of frequent. So I think that's like a really good point that you make there is like understanding managerial tactical kind of like ideas and um, philosophies, all that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's super interesting. I think uh, yeah, it, get, it does get your brain ticking. It's so hard, but you, it, you know, for people that do spend the time to watch the football and take it in, they will benefit from that. Um, especially in that U twenty three market, like you said, if you can identify a player like on their side, sort of like what they're likely to do per ninety underneath the the new coach, or you know, I think that's 
Now we talk about we've talked about Ten Hag's move to United on here a few times, and I think that Dallow is going to really like excel under him. But it's not many other players in our squad that I look at and think he's a Ten Hag kind of player. But watching us against Liverpool the other week, you know Dallow did get into the box quite a bit. So maybe maybe he will maybe we will see a bit more of him this season. Be interesting to see how he uh, how he does. But I think that like the signing of Malasia kind of underlined that he is going to attempt to play the Ajax way, which will be really exciting, but could be disastrous in the Prem because we could get absolutely ruined on the counter if we want to play our fullbacks like on the edge of the opposition box. But um yeah, if he can if he can get them running up and down the wing, who knows? Who knows? I think Tottenham have got incredibly stronger. If you want to push your fullbacks on, that's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> and uh, Frankie de Jong is not a defensive midfielder. He's a brilliant midfielder, but he is not going to anchor the attacking talent and ag- like aggressive pressing of fullbacks. No, I haven't. I, I, I'm looking forward to a change, but I am not. I don't. I want. I. I we need a change. We need to kick up the arse, but. I'm, I, I don't know what to expect. I'm still like, you know, I watched the game the other day against Liverpool and Liverpool looked like they'd just come back from holiday. It, like you couldn't, you couldn't judge anything from like that performance really. Uh, one thing I did take from it was I thought Rashford looked like his turn of pace was back, which was a big, big plus. But other than that, there wasn't much to see. Like, And this is another thing going back to the point about Vasharan and the hat-trick scored pre-season is like, you can't really... Like the one thing that I did take from pre-seasons and like in in the Russian division a few seasons back I was kind of like following like what the young players were doing in that kind of like the winter break when they start to get their fixtures back on track and you can see the players that are maybe coming in and then the new mints came in like in the sort of like midway through the season the Russian league that that year and I picked up um, Konstantin Chukovin off of watching um, like how they did in the off-season in the break Um, but it is it is hard isn't it like I it, I always I'm fascinated by the goalkeeper market and looking at like who started in the friendlies. It just doesn't really give you a full view of like who's going to start. But especially been looking at like Salzburg. I don't know about either of you two, but that is a really interesting goalkeeper situation, isn't it? With Cone and um, Mantle, mm-hmm. and who's going to be the number one? But Nico Mantle has been having an absolutely outstanding um, preseason, and I've. I think he might be the number one next season. I don't know if either of you have had a chance to look or think about that one very much, but I, I've got a feeling he's going to start as the number one this season, which will be interesting because Cone has had a really good season last season too. I have Mantle. I bought him at the end of last season fairly cheaply because I thought that Cone was going to leave. Personally, mm. I think that Cone will be the starter as long as he's still there. If there may be a club that makes a move for him before the end of the deadline. Um, that's what I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed for because Mantle is Germany's under-21 under goalkeeper. And you think about the pedigree of goalkeepers that come through the German national system. You've got to have something about you to, to be picked yeah. when you're not, you know, your Salzburg's backup keeper and you're getting picked for Germany in the 21s, like that says something, like the coaches have seen something fairly special about him. Um, I bought him not because I think he's going to start the season. I bought him because I actually believe in his talent, and I think that it will be a matter of time before he's number one at Salzburg. I think they will 
respect Kyle because he won the spot last season. If you actually look before before um, Salzburg were minted, Mantle was starting. Mantle mm. actually started last season as number one, then Kyle won the spot and kept it. Um, so I do feel that potentially Kyle keeps it for now, but I do also think that there's a fairly significant chance that a club might come in and make a move for him before the end of the end of the window. The only thing I would say on Mantle is um, McBride is a big fan of Mantle and I'm pretty sure just from hanging out with McBride and chats and whatever, pretty sure Mantle, it sounded like he was sold or going to go on loan to D2 or something in Germany and then all of a sudden it was like scuppered and scrapped. Or I don't know if it was maybe just a rumour that went quite far, but I'm pretty sure he had a transfer on or about to get done and then it was a, it was a last minute kind of rug pull or change of position. Yeah. Something happened where he was going to go red X. Or, and then he didn't. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I read an article where they base it. The article sort of said that uh, he'd had like sort of a chat with with the, the the board, if you like, that basically said that they they can't let him go, and that they want him to fight for the number one spot. And like they he maybe got some assurances there that you know this it's not a foregone conclusion. Like you you could easily get that number one shirt back if you work hard. And if that was a few maybe a month or two back. Because, yeah, like you said, I think he was going to be loaned out to D2 or something like that. But his preseason's been incredible. Some of the saves I've seen him pull off in like the last couple of games, uh, you know, if anyone needed to stake their claim for the beginning of the season, he absolutely has done it. So, you know, if they did give him some assurances that like if he showed himself in preseason, he'd get the shirt back. And that maybe because he's from looking at what he's done in the last couple of games and they're friendly, some of the saves he pulled off were unreal. I think, he's really like, I, I think he's an incredibly good young goalkeeper and I think he's got quite a high ceiling. Um, I really do. And that was like one of the ones that like there, there wasn't too many stats. Like we talk about like wave identifying players. Um, you know, I am heavily stats based, but also sometimes you just watch a player and you think, you know, what, actually there's, there's something about this player. Like, and I'm, I'm willing to sort of stake a little bit on them you know, on their career. And, and Mantle, I think, is definitely one of those players. Um, you know, when you look at his style of play, like he very much models his game after Manuel Neuer. Um, he's the kind of player, you know, one-on-one saves, he's he's brilliant. He's also very quick off his line as well. So I'm thinking, how I, if he gets to run in the Salzburg team, I'm thinking, how many sweeper-keeper points is he going to yeah. pick up? That's, you know, goalkeeper AA gold. So, yeah, that's definitely like a, knowing what his style of play was. Um, going, you know what, I'm happy to just grab this guy and be patient until he gets his chance. Yeah. I think you've always got to have a little kind of um, assembly line of goalkeepers like that. You know, it's a good way of kind of having your club moving forward, you know, through the kind of seasons, I feel like. You know, you get a wee backup 18-year-old goalkeeper from Japan when nobody cares about Japan. And, you know, subsequently across Europe and whatever. And then these guys, they just pop up sometimes, you know. And it's like, oh, this guy's playing now. Then you've got a wee card you can go play with for producing trading it's always a it's always a strategy it's always good fun to, to do yeah I, I picked up a few sort of super egg under 23 keepers like that purely like on the off chance they get a little move or the the number one moves on and i think like if you're playing where now i've got quite a few under 23 supers i need to have a, like a super rare under 23 keeper that i can hopefully use and i'm down to like obviously etienne green went down with um St Etienne but I've also got uh, Gaetan Cook but he he's into his final season of U23 this year 
Um, I've got a bake young bum at um, Saul who's had a couple of starts this season. And I do, I, I do think he'll get in. Like what I watch Saul quite, quite a lot because I have quite a few of their players and he did well when he played. He's actually injured at the moment, but, um, but yeah, I think that the goalkeeping position there has been like, kind of like potentially like there for the taking for a, a season and a half or so now. And when he came in, he did really well. And, you know, he's like 20 years old. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts next season. So I've got his super. I've got, um, I've got another one that I picked up sort of speculatively. Um, Issam Elmach, who is like, at, I think he's at RKC, but he was a former Ajax um, youth, academy, youth Academy prospect. Um, he did play f- against Ajax last season, but I don't think I'm going to get much utility out of him now. He doesn't seem to be kind of hitting any of that form but those u23 goalkeeper super res if you're going to enter d d2 especially in u23 are like you know if you can get them cheaply and just sit and be patient with them and i think that's one thing that you notice in the market maybe lacks a bit of patience when we were talking about how reactionary the market is to a couple of big scores or something especially in the u23 market and obviously i've spent all summer getting offers on my veerman uh my Kenneth Taylor super res. Um, and nearly all the time I hear the same thing from the managers who are trying to prize them away from me is uh, you're going to struggle with your team. Like you should sell this card. And I'm like, I'm offended. <laughs> I'm like, Have you seen my cards, bro? Like seriously, like, I've, got, I've got players. They just maybe haven't shown themselves yet, but I I've got, I've got players like that. I've seen play and I believe, you know, like, um, Anwar El Hedge, I picked him up a couple of seasons ago. I can't believe we didn't see more of him last season. But given the way Anderlecht played, the style, um, I, I'm not sure we'll see much of him this season either. Yes, it really just, depends. You just won the division. Yeah, you know I mean, I did. I, exactly. You know? I did. I won the division. Respect the man. Put some respect <laughs> on the Stish's name. Yeah, mate. <laughs> but yeah, I do. I feel like reigning champion. You do. You kind of put your money where your mouth is in this in in this world that we're that we're all in, right? And someone might look at my uh, gallery and think, "Well, he hasn't got um, Martinez. He hasn't got um, I don't know wrench. He hasn't got some of the like people that everyone wants." But you know, I picked up Kenneth Taylor when no one wanted him, and now everyone wants him. When I picked up Veerman, he was he was putting up scores, but he wasn't like you know. He wasn't on everyone's radar at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the game, right? Like, I feel confident in the team that I've got. And if I let go of a card like Veerman, it will give it will hamper my chances of reaching those podiums or getting in the cards. And for me, I think I'm excited for next season. I feel like confident about the, the collection of players that I've got there, especially in U23. I'm probably a little bit over heavy on the... the on the super rare side of things, I do think I need to pick up a few more um, rares, but I'm excited for the season to start. Got We got the big move, uh, Gorner as well. Gorner Duarte to uh, Salzburg was announced yesterday. I picked him up like a week ago. So I've now got like a massively, you know, I've got, I've got a nice little Salzburg midfield stack there. I've got Lukas Sukic and, and, uh, and Gorner there. I think they probably both play. I don't know. You you guys might have a view on that, but yeah, I'm excited. Um, are there any players that you that either of you are holding and just hoping this is going to be their season? Like, is who who in your gallery are you most excited to see this season? 
I'll let Tegos go first. Okay. Um, for me, first off is I'm really excited for Hamez Delcroix because I bought his super rare and it was a big move for me and he got injured the very same week oh. before I'd even had a chance to play the guy. So, um, you know, it's, it's taken me a while to build to the point where I'm comfortable to enter under 23 D3 or rare pro as it's now called. So I'm, I'm quite intrigued about him. Um, the other ones are ones that I've actually bought more recently. So I bought Nicholas Castro, who was at Newell's and has just yeah. joined Genk. And he is one of those ones that I'm like, oh, okay, under Vranikin at Genk, he could be an absolute beast. So I wanted to grab, jump on that train. He's um, technically very gifted. Um, he, you know, he's very good at set pieces. He's also quite aggressive. Um, you know, he, high number of duels a game. I think in Argentina he was averaging like five um, defensive actions a game, which is important in a, you know, sort of pressing system that I think Franken will will put into place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one for me, I think, is Gedson uh, Um There's a couple of players that I think have had quite favourable moves for me over the summer. Um, Gedson is like by far and away the one. I think like what's really interesting is how many players have aged out this season. And I don't think the market has fully realized it yet. But I'll be honest and say that there's probably only four or five midfielders that you can look at right now in the under 23 category and go, they're elite and they've got no risk of transfer. Um, Veerman and Gedson are in that fairly select company at the top of like you know you're going to get a season from them and they could absolutely crush um Gedson is one just like in the system at the Shiktas versus being the only guy that was decent at Riesport, Sport it's going to be a really really big difference the other one that I'm really excited about is um I grabbed him at the end of last season when he was injured but um Odegaard who was at RKC Valovic has now gone to AZ oh um, yeah He's one that I'm I'm pretty excited about. Um, and if Jeremy Doku manages to stay fit for more than 45 minutes, then I'll be very happy <laughs> to have him in my squad as well. So, yeah, there's a few. There's a lot of, like, under-23 prospects, but I think what I'm quite excited about is the metas have been reset. Um, you know, Sinister is gone. Uh, Kotu probably goes. Um, you know, the teams that were, like, almost unbeatable at the end of yeah. last season of all but we've had a hard reset and there's a chance for new metas to emerge new new teams to form and i think looking at my team at the moment like my my team will probably be like for rare will be something like van der voort van der voort one other midfielder i hope enzo fernandez when he lands at benfica and then probably like Odegaard, Doku if he's fit. I've got a few options in terms of forwards. So like that to me, I'm starting to think, okay, well, I've got a couple of captain choices there. I hope to be competitive. Whereas like towards the end of last season, I was like, oh, I and fine. or have got good fixtures. How's this going week over? Um, so yeah, I think I'm more excited about the reset of under 23 than maybe I, I, I feel like my crop of players maybe has you know, sort of more opportunity to compete in the changing landscape. Yeah. What about you, Quinny? Who, who, who's getting you excited next season? 
Um, well, in terms of like who is actually getting me excited, it's anyone who's wearing a green and white hoop. Um, to be honest, I feel like who <laughs> is <it was> coming. <laughs> uh, well, that's it. Yeah, oh, Sporting Lisbon should be a pretty decent side this season. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get a Lisbon uh, card or two for sure. I've got um, you know, what's the green and white Turkey team? I've got a Konya Sport card, and I've got another one. I've got another green and white uh, hoops from somewhere just by accident. But um, I, no, so I'm, I'm quite heavy on Kyogo and McGregor in particular. But I was looking across my club there and I was thinking about someone who's just not Celtic related. I'm quite excited. Uh, uh, there's two that spring to my mind. I'm quite excited for a full season of fit Kieran Trippier at Newcastle. Oh, yeah. Should Good be on shot. all the set pieces as the captain. Should get 90 minutes. And as mm. long as they don't concede more than three goals, like he should be all right. Like, you know, is definitely decisive capable as well. So I think he could be a sneaky I'm I'm you know, I'm crossing my fingers on it. He's a fullback, so it could go either way. <laughs> you know, I think it's a good but, shout that. I think that's a great shout. I watched a bit of Newcastle towards the end of last season and they've massively improved and they yeah. brought in players like Botman, so they might pick up a few more clean sheets as well. Um I like that I like that. I think is a great shout, actually. And the other one is uh, is that as an underlight kid, uh well maybe kind of an underlying kid is uh, Lucas Nemeka. So he obviously last year moved into champion Euro. I think he did okay, but he had some injuries and a wee patchy bit of form and he was fit. But I think this year, like under Kovac, like Wolfsburg could do really good. And I think he's on to start. He's beginning the German national team and stuff. You know, he has a U23 striker, well slept on in my opinion. And uh, it's his last year of U23. So that will probably be price into mm. as well a little bit. But I think um, if everything was to go well, Everything is to go well. He he should be pushing 20 decisives this year. And, you know, that's what I'm after. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you, mate, yeah. Hope yeah, rather than expectation on that one, eh, Connie? What's that? Hope rather than expectation on that one. Hope 20 decisives. Expectation's got to be over 10. Like, he's got to be getting <laughs> about eight goals, three assists at the minimum. And then a good season, I don't know, maybe like 14 goals, seven assists, six assists, you know, like... I like also, it. A few pens, he can do that as well. He can win a pen, you know. Absolutely. As long as his teammate converts it. Eh? Right. Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about um I was I was speaking, I was I was I was in Tekka's DMs earlier. We were discussing the uh the specialist on the weekend and we were looking at players and um talking about players that I'm excited to see. Um just doing a bit of my own research this week. Um and I think that it's likely we'll see Gareth Bale in an LAFC shirt against Nashville this weekend. Apparently, like a lot of the sources close to the club saying that he's going to play a part in that game. So, of course, as a holder, I've put him in my over 32 uh, specialist. Because I think even if he comes in... in training. Good Even off the bench, I fancy him for a free kick. Uh, I think... Uh, I'm I, I'm excited to see him play for LAFC. To be honest, I'm happy for him to be in the MLS. I think um, there's been talk also this week of like Jesse Lingard potentially moving to the MLS. Have you seen all this as well? I was just going to say on Bale. I've seen the Lingard thing as well, but I was going to say on Bale. Like he had quotes come out three or four days ago, and he was saying like, "I want to be here for the next." Yeah. Like, you know, so. He's, this is he's, the he's there to play, you know, he's there to play and take it as seriously as it needs to be taken. And I think that's not to be mistaken with not taking it seriously. You know, mm. I think there's a difference there that in America that everyone's kind of sober to at this point. And Lingard is linked to join up with Rooney at DC United. 
doesn't oh. sound like it's going to be. It's crazy. <laughs> my, my brother's on holiday in um, Spain at the moment, and he sent us a picture message today. But um, the Rooney family are staying in the same hotel as him, minus Wayne. Wayne's not there, but Colleen and the kids are staying in the same hotel as my brother and my my nephew and his wife. Nice. So um, yeah, I might have to get get him uh, friendly with them at the bar and see if he's got any uh, any DC rumors that he can float our way. He's a so rare uh, user as well, so he might. This might be the perfect opportunity for him to pick up some insider trading and uh, get get like strengthen his MLS selection. Because he's he's one of those classic. Uh, you know, when you get your mates to sign up for so rare, and it's like, go on, like get involved in that. And he's like, he put together a fairly decent limited side, but he's been he's been like, he's he's got like the four. He's got the classic four rares to like scrape the ETH. And he's been sort of sitting on his hands about buying a goalkeeper for about six months now, ever since like he got on the platform. And uh, yeah, he should definitely go and tap the Roonies up for a bit of a bit of tr- insider trading information there. See if he's got any uh, any tips. But, um, Who else is going in your in your specialist team? That's the question. You're, let's you're, have you're a look. Right? I've, I've, personally, I've gone. I've prioritised them this weekend. I think I've, they've been massively overlooked because Sober haven't really communicated the prices very well. So everyone's yeah. just gone, eh, I'm going to do the other 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 ones. I was, before they even launched the um, or announced the prize pool, I went through and figured out who was DMP. And I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. We've got Pedri and Verts in here. So mm. I'm probably not going to win them in a straight shootout in under 23. But if I can win them this week in specialists, then that will really, really level up my my teams yeah i've i've actually got an entry in all four of the specialist over 32 and under 23s i had to like plug a couple of gaps and i think there's still a few spots where like it's particularly in the limiteds i um so as it stands and that my under 23 limited team is um keisuke asako uh jaylen Lindsay, who is a bit of a rotation risk at charlotte now i'm not sure probably need to consider another option there alexander alvarado Santiago Sosa, who again is a massive rotation risk at uh, Atlanta. And uh, Bruno Bartisciotto, who I picked up today, plays in the Chilean league. Uh, he's uh, bagged two decisives in his last two games um, for his new club. So I thought like for a bit of differential, there's not many of him on the platform because he moved shortly after he started getting minted. And I just saw, I had a look at his scores and I thought, you know, his first two games, new club. Seems to be settled in. His all arounds quite good for a forward as well. So fingers crossed he, he continues his run. But I do think that that is, I think that's a reasonably weak op- option in that my two under 40 average scorers are a bit too much of a rotation risk. Um, but then in my, my, uh, my rare version of the under 23 is a bit stronger. I've got Tani in goal, um, Deviv, Ryan Gutierrez, Edwin Cirillo, and Brenner. So I've gone quite heavy in there. Um, I think Edwin Cirillo is a potential weak link there. He might not start. He he plays most games, but he doesn't start most of them. So it's like, if I can plug that gap with a, a potential starter who might have a decisive in them, then I think that that could compete. But like you said, you know, was it top 60? There's currently 345 entries. So let's say there's 400 by deadline. That's 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 a good shot, right? And this is kind of where we were at. Last week when we were talking about why I entered D2 U23 versus like putting a strong kind of like um, pro team in. And it was like, I have a unique on a week where 
Not many used unique U23s are going to play. Lehan Bomb didn't even start. He scored a, a goal in the 93rd minute, which pretty much scraped the win for me in the end. Um, so yeah, it, it worked out nicely, and I won a, I, I won a great, a, a great super. I say a great. The person who finished second won Luca Oyen, and it's, you know, I, I would have probably preferred that, but um, I got a Yongwu um, super, so super happy. He was kind of like on my shortlist, so. Yeah, I mean that that strengthens my my teams massively. But what about you two? Who who have you got back onto the subject of this specialist? Like who, who's in your who's in your? Particularly, I think it's the, it's those it's those under forties. They're the ones, and if you can crack those and 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 find a player that you think can do a fifty plus, that's maybe like their averages um, under forty. They're the ones that can really like make or break these entries for me. Who you got, Techers? Who's, your, who's in your team? Me, I, I'm. I've gone. I've really gone all out on this week. I even went and bought a couple of players for this week. That's how much I want to target them. Um, my under twenty three facilitator. So I've got my rare team, and I owned all but one, and then I've pretty much bought a specialist team for this week. So my rare team, I've gone for Osako because he's got a wonderful, wonderful fixture this weekend, mm. and I really hope he can grab a clean sheet. I've got Nathaniel Santini of Sion, who qualifies because he was injured towards the end of last season, but he's been like front and centre. Um, you know, he was their man of the match in their last um, last friendly, so I'm thinking, okay, brilliant. Like He's under 40-point under 40, uh, under 40 facilitator that should start, which, like you said earlier with Jalen Lindsay, a lot of the under 40s they're not locked in to start so for me when i approach these specialists i'm like okay i'd rather just take a starter and bank like a 40 45 points and let yeah. the, the hitters do their thing rather than go for like a risky 60 and then have the guy not actually come in and play so santini's the first facilitator the next one is just um a knock-on of other transfers that have happened or about to happen so Argentinos juniors are pretty stacked for young talent in midfield, but Florentin and Vera are both on their way out. So that has allowed Matthias Galaza to step in. Galaza's L15 is a bunch of sub appearances where he's got like 25. And then his last four starts have all been like 50, 55. And I'm just like, that is like, as close to perfect as you can get for these um, under 40 facilitators as possible. I'm rounding at the team also with Alvarado because he's got a ridiculously good fixture. And then I've gone Jesus Ferreira as, as my, my man at top. So I'm, I'm like, I'm quite happy about that team. My limited version, I've gone Santini again in defense, but this time I've flipped it. So my facilitator is Franco Herrera of Newell's. So Newell's goalkeeper got injured with the last kick of the last game. Herrera's started every training session match this week. So he's, a, in my mind, a pretty much a lock-on to, to start. Risk is it's a fairly difficult fixture. It's um, against uh, Racing Club. We're pretty strong. But I like, if I can, for the specialist to try and get a goalkeeper facilitator because yeah. their upside is limited. You don't want to stick your best goalkeeper in if you've got you know, because it's not, you know, your, your upside is that they go to 70. Whereas if you can use an outfield player that could go on and bang a decent score, 
then then that's where I try to do it. So I've got those two. Again, here, because it's limited, I've, I've followed a similar strategy to you in looking for the differentials. Because in my mind, like the limited, I think there's 1,500 entries for like 300 prizes. But I think a lot of people are going to have the same teams. So my mm. differential is um, Wilson Asidor, who was at Monaco. He was minted a few times at Monaco, about 100 limited cards, not a lot of them at all. And he's now at Locomotive in Russia. He should be their, um, one of their main guys this season. So I've got him. I've got Alvarado again just because he was stupidly cheap. He's like 0.01, like it was a really like cheap entry. And then Oblikov of CSKA, who has got – he's got 90-plus scores in him. So that's my um, that's my under-23s. For the over-32s, I've gone for um, Marwan Hits at um, – he was at – Dortmund last season and mm -hmm. um, he's now gone to FC Basel so he's under 40 um, which is a wonderful goalkeeper facilitator and you think Basel strong team in the league they're gonna have midweeks like you know he should be a, a quite a useful card for me to have this season um, in defense I've gone Kim Youngwang of Ulsan because Ulsan are playing um, uh, Suwon Blue Wings, who are basically going to camp 11 men behind the ball. And whenever that happens, um, Ulsan just play it around at the back and wait patiently for opportunity. So yeah. I think Kim could pass himself to like a 70, 80 point score. Um, in midfield, I've gone for uh, Shinjin Ho, who is just absolutely ripping at the moment at Pohan. Yeah. Um, Jefferson Montero, who has had some cards from his Mexico days. Um, once of Birmingham, I think he was. Um, he's now playing for the 9th of October, which is one of the <laughs> named clubs I've ever come across in Ecuador. Um, but he he came off the bench, bagged a goal last game, I think as a very cheap wildcard facilitator that should start. He's good. And I'm rounding the team out with, uh, with the boy Carlos Vela away at Nashville. So... It just gives an indication as to, to how much I believe in the opportunity that's presented by these tournaments this week and the fact that most people in my mind have, have overlooked them. So I really have gone. And I can see Quinny clicking away, changing his teams as we speak. Yeah. And hang on a minute, lads. I need to I need to get in on this specialist action before you boys walk away with a gabby and a bird. I'm clicking away thinking, why didn't I do these again? And for the for see for all the limited ones, like I've got three players that are worth having, and then I need two, and I'm not buying two players to fill a team. And for rare, like I can make an under twenty three team, but it is weak, like super weak. There's no point even fielding uh, it. So I, I will be playing into your hands, checkers. I will be overlooking this tournament, and I wish you all the best luck with it. Thank you. Uh, I've got a Galarraza card that I picked up for specialist, and I've also got. So I've got some really good cards for it, but just none of them qualify together. I've got Rafael Romo, who's a goalkeeper, L15 number 40, but he's over he's over 32. <laughs> but I don't have, you know, and uh, who's our guy, Galarada? He's an under-23 player, you know, so I just don't have the right sync-up of the age groups. So I'm screwed. I'm not in them. You need the, you need the sandwich. You need the sandwich specialist. <laughs> <laughs> the two U23s, the two over 32s, and one in the middle. That's it. That, that, if we put that out there, so rare if you're listening, we want the sandwich specialist, the uh, two over 32s, the two under 23s, and the one in the, one in the middle. The wild card. 
the wild card, yeah. The the wild the literal wild card. Um I've just realised as well, yeah, I've got an over thirty two rare team which I'm quite happy about as well. I think the weak link in it is um, Mariyama, who has a fixture against Frontale. Um but I've got Alfredo Talavera who started really well at Juarez um in goal. Uh, I picked up Darwin Seren, um, who is with Houston Dynamo. Um, yeah, he, he was cheap. I think I paid like 20 quid for him. And, uh, you know, he, he facilitates that, the uh, the under 40. Uh, another one, Felipe Azevedo. Um, he plays at America FC in Brazil. He plays pretty much every game. Doesn't hit big scores, but, you know, he might hit a 55 if, if I'm lucky. And then uh, Gareth Bale. Why not? Let's stick him in there and see if he can uh, see if he can hit some silverware at least for me on his debut. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how those teams get on. I I um I I decided to target those as well because I like I said I had um, some good options. It would it could have been even better, you know, if Cecinio was looking like he was going to play. I could have potentially put him in instead of Bale and had that like guaranteed potential 60 even without a decisive but um yeah I don't think he's going to play I feel like they're going to rest him until like they've got a little break haven't they after after this round of fixtures and he's apparently got like a bruised chin or something like that and they probably just let him rest it off so I'm not going to risk him this weekend but um yeah excited for those I bet you as someone who likes to get into the stats and that I mean we 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 on the podcast have been big fans of the underdog specialist all of that um how excited were you when they kind of like introduced those game modes? Cause it really opens it up, doesn't it? To the, the kind of like nerding out on the stats, people who really want to dig around for a bargain to fill gaps in their team, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I think up until this point, um, I haven't really played specialist rare because it rewards super rares. And when yeah. you actually look at what you can win, the upside is fairly limited. Um, I've had my most success in underdog, limited because i've just been buying really cheap players like i won tony cruz limited with a team that cost me about 60 quid like it was literally like nothing like i just put a bunch of like you know really um low cost cards that had been overlooked by everyone else together and ended up finishing like sixth or seventh like it was like you know reasonable um reward on that the reason i haven't really got involved in specialists is because I didn't really have that many limited cards but the more and more I look at the what you can win in specialist limited the more I'm really tempted into it so this week in making a decision to buy some players for the under 23 and the over 32 tournament as I'm thinking okay well who would be good enough that I could be using in specialists in the next couple of weeks as well like I want to get some you know more utility out of it and really focus on these leagues a little bit more because I think they the prizes that have been coming out of some of the specialist tournaments recently relative to the cost of composing a strong team has been really, really good. So mm-hmm. I'm trying not to be wasteful and just like buy random players. Like there's a real thought process to it of like, you know, can we buy a player that can offer utility afterwards? But I think that's what I like about the under 23s, because if you look at the facilitators that you're bringing in as under 23s, mostly they are players that are just breaking into the team so you're then catching them early and you've got the opportunity that they could be useful in your under 23 regular teams afterwards but i love them i think they're very good tournaments i think it was 
it felt like for a very long time it got a little bit stale and it felt like there was nothing new. Um, and then suddenly we, they've really, really upped their game and we've got a lot of variety, which I think keeps it fresh. It keeps the market moving as well because, you you know, otherwise you just set and you have your teams and, you know, this definitely creates an element of demand around players that are eligible, which I think is great for buyers and sellers alike. Um, and also, yeah, you've, we've really seen some great rewards come out of these tournaments as well. Like if you look at this specialist super rare, like I don't, I don't have the cards to enter a specialist super rare, unfortunately, but you look at what's come out recently, like Hatanaka and Bale unique were given yeah. out specialist super rare. Like there's some really, really tasty cards that have been, that have been dished out of these tournaments. And I think what I did like, and I, this is one thing I picked up in the, um, the baseball presentation was that they talked about the, diversity of winners as well yeah which i think is really healthy from a very selfish point of view you're like i want to win all the time but if you think long term it's healthier for the market and general game as a whole if more people have a chance to win um and that's what i think has been really good about these tournaments is it really rewards people that put in the time um and you can get some bargains if you look at it you can get some players that very very cheaply facilitate a team so, you know, when I'm buying players for it, I'm always trying to go, okay, well, do my over 40 players have good fixtures this week? And if they do, can I cheaply build a team around it with, with these cheap facilitator players? And I think that's like a sensible way to do it where you don't overcommit, but you're still, you know, you're, you're really sort of giving yourself a greater opportunity to win than maybe you would do in the open tournaments where you're you're facing some quite mature stacks with high XP and that are, that are going to crush. And I think that's actually one thing I was going to say about this weekend is um, I don't think I've seen anyone talk about it, but this is one huge consideration with Challenger this season is Zenit stacks aren't going to lose their season bonus because there's no new cards. So you're going to have some absolutely meta stacks that like you saw like with um, YNWA in Liverpool last season because they didn't lose their season <laughs> bonus. And I think it was the same with Napoli. Like if yeah. Napoli or Liverpool did well, you know that your guys, like you had guys that you were coming up against who were running cards at like 13% bonus. Um, you know, it's like half a super rep. So I think we're going to yeah. see that in Challenger this season a lot, um, which then is going to make for me, the specialist even more appealing because you might have more of an opportunity to win there than you maybe would in the regular divisions. I'm yeah, it's a good shout on that, actually. Good shout on that. Yeah, the Russian league uh, reopens this week as well, doesn't it? So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, um, I'm already looking. There's definitely, like, there's Art and Zubas already up at 10% on the market, this is, you know. And these guys get traded all the time, so they've been, you know, they'll have had a wee XP handicap here and there. But, um, is, didn't, isn't Zuba leaving as well? He's, like, training with the oh, team, right? He's been trying to move, force a move out. Um, I saw they, like, they picked up uh, Rodri Gal from um, Sochi, who I picked up a limited of a while ago, um, for like this week with this week in mind, like oh, I have like a decent sort of like challenger option for my limiteds because I had a couple of these like decent limiteds for challenger. So I thought, let me just build like a really strong challenger limited side, um, and I picked him up and I picked up Naboa from Sochi as well. But then Rodri Gal has moved to Zenit, which is actually not a bad move so i wasn't i wasn't like too unhappy about that because you'll probably get more for, more clean sheets at um at zenit as well and uh, according to some of the like the russian so rare community on twitter seem to think he'll be a starter as well so yeah fingers crossed for that one but um 
yeah, good good luck in the in, on the weekend because this uh, sounds like sounds like you've gone in gone in on the uh, the specialist. I'll be I'll be add, I'm, I'm making sure I follow you on SoRare so I can kind of like you know like we can tick the tab to see like how the people you're following are doing in the league and that. Talking of that, actually, I saw some Twitter chat. Um, some of the community have set up a kind of like private um, SoRare data league with div- ma- min- maximum like loads of divisions and stuff like that. I'm sure that both of you were tagged into some of those as well. Um, that's a nice addition to the SoRare data site, isn't it? Being able to set up your own kind of like mini leagues and that. Yeah, they've had the private league thing on for a while, um, but I think that this one that you're talking about is the, the SoRare data World League. From I've just got the tweet up that's from it, yeah. Nazar and uh, a great team of guys behind it. And yeah, it should be good fun, you know, because when we first got these private leagues, like I don't think anyone was really ready to properly have a go at it. But um, mm. great, great work on the guys for having the the <clears throat> the gumption to, <laughs> to, get to you know, organize it. Yeah, put the tweet out, tag everyone, get it together, own it, and and make it work. You know, so fair play to them all. Round of applause to them all. I can't wait to get involved in it. I'm in Division Two. Just I was... I'm in Division 11, so I've got a few seasons before we start playing against each other. <laughs> yeah. I think I was a bit late to the party. I got tagged in a tweet about it this morning, and I think it must have been, I've been sort of travelling for work, like back and f- up and down the country. So when I got back in today, I was on the train, and I was like, what is this? I've missed all of this chat. I didn't know what they were talking about, but I got tagged into a tweet, and I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. So by the time I got entered into a division, I'm, you know, I'm all the way, I'm, I'm pretty much Sunday League, my team. i I'm gonna have to work. It's gonna be like how I used to play football manager, trying to like, trying to bring like Crawley, Crawley Town up up to the Champions League or something. But yeah, I should I, actually on the subject of Crawley Town and not on the subject of So Red. Did any of you see that Crawley Town got like had got taken over by NFT, kind of like the group, like the Gary V and a bunch of like crypto dons, and they did a NFT drop this week where you could like purchase an NFT that kind of got you access to like merch tickets for the games and obviously all of the sales of those nfts went to funding the team like it goes directly into the kitty so it's trying to raise three million for like um the team to invest in players and uh yeah i picked i picked up one of those i thought that was quite a cool i was interested thing. they're not that expensive and uh, the thing yeah. I, see, I i heard them talking on a podcast the guy that runs it the guy that's behind it um, maybe about a week or two ago, and then I seen a thing on Twitter this week, and they, they made this little video, and it's like kind of being like Ryan Reynolds and Wrexham a little bit, where he's yeah. like he's like being American and talking about NFTs, and he goes into the club hey, shop. Yes, yeah, right, yeah. Sandra, are you excited for the NFT drop? And then uh, I buzzing, <laughs> you know, and he goes around the whole place talking about NFTs, like yeah, this could be an NFT, and this That's piece it. of paper could be an NFT, and like, you know, he goes just he's a just a a caricature of. The, the timeline that is NFT, if you get me. It's and, really uh, funny, isn't it? I, yeah. that the other day and I thought that was a good chuckle and uh, it made me tempted to buy it, but I've just, again, not got around to doing it. But yeah. it, a little tip out there, if uh, if anyone is thinking of getting one, that there are people like who probably like bought them, hoping to like flip them for profit that are just like cutting them loose on OpenSea for like less than the mint prices now. So you can actually pick up a, a little bit of a uh, discount by going on OpenSea and getting the secondary. I think you can like save yourself by like 0.05 ETH doing it that way. So that was what I did. I was like, I don't need to like mint one. I'm quite happy to just like support. And if you think of it in that way as well, like that means they're going to sell more than the, the allocation. 
So yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued. I think it's a great idea. I'm always interested in seeing how things like that kind of unfold. But when you think about things like that as well, and like going back onto this talk of the private leagues and things, it's like you can kind of see a future of like brands sponsoring like this private league because there's so much traction on it online or something like that. And it's like, hey, you know, we'll we'll spend a couple of grand to sponsor the private leagues. Uh, and then like the kind of governing body of the private leagues goes out and spends that on rewards that are going to be given out at the end of the, the league. So yeah, I think it's, that's one of the beauties of like so rare as a product is that they kind of embrace third parties building on top of their API and allow people to do things like so rare data do, but then so rare data then facilitating things like this for the general public to have a go. Um, but yeah, I think it's a super positive thing. Oh, Techers has said in the chat, look at that. Cook is injured. FYI, won't oh, start the first that? game. <laughs> just what I needed to hear. Please tell me that's not long-term injury, Techers. Is that like, I haven't seen any of that. So that's uh, no, a... Really about it today. Um, looks likely that Solon will start the first couple of games. I dropped it in the chat so you had a chance to you know, digest it quietly. But now you've, you've broadcast yeah, it as now well. Yeah, now I've it out. But, oh well. That's all right. I've hopefully, helped, hopefully we've helped someone somewhere, but you've helped me anyway. So I appreciate that. I didn't see that. actually. So it's good that I did see it because I was already planning my, uh, my U23 D2s that were going to open up in a few weeks. If he's not going to be playing, then it kind of, it's going to weaken the D3 and the res might be. Very soon. Hang on, let me check. We've only got it's, a couple uh, of weeks. Next weekend. Not yeah. long at all. Not long Belgium's at all. Next weekend. So next weekend, we've got um, Austria coming online and, and Belgium. And Belgium, yeah. Same weekend. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's 294. 292, 294 Scotland. 294 is Turkey. 292 is those Hoopy Scots. Um, and when is the, hang on, Eredivisie is 294. Um, as well. So 294 is Turkey and Eredivisie, but Belgium first next weekend with Austria, which I'm really looking forward to because all my, all my challenger cards are, are Belgium and Austria, basically. And you notice that J, uh, J League isn't running next weekend because they've got the um, the tournament. There's like a... Yeah, the E. Yeah, the e I seen the squad and I was like, it makes no sense on like yeah. age or anything. Like, I don't get the team that they've picked. Why is this tournament? I was trying to work this out. Is it is it is it kind of like the Nations League for Asia or something? It's like really what a weird time to have it. And then Mickey Yaman is it? And what Mickey Yaman is like twenty seven, you know? Yeah, they got Tani out there as well. Tani's out there. Yeah, Nosako and uh, Zion Suzuki is it? Yeah, three like U twenty three goalkeepers, and then just a random smashing of you know the Olympic team and then a few other random guys like Yaman. It is it's very unusual. Yeah, I was a bit confused by that as well. That's very strange. Why did I not know about it? Why did I not understand this? <laughs> I was just saying, because I was like, I've never have a Sarko next weekend. And then I was like, oh, actually, hang on. Belgium's back on, so I've got Vanderbilt. Oh. So I can actually run at under-23. Yeah, I'm I actually excited think I might be leaving a wee bit of under-23 action this year. I was actually doing lineup builder just um, before we came into the, the recording session tonight. And I ended up taking myself down a week in a, a wee thought experiment of moving some pieces around on game week 294 or something like that. And see, with the obvious problem, not to get it back into a full podcast, as we've been going for a long enough time, but you know, <laughs> for, for how for you know how like shallow U twenty three mid is this year, like 
there is going to be some random guys that really pop out and go, but I don't feel confident enough to say, like me looking ahead now to a month, I'm looking at maybe what my U23 options are. And I'm looking at Vandervert and thinking, are you maybe better going into Challenger now? You know, because mm-hmm. I've got a better idea of what I'm fighting against. I've got a better idea of how, you know, I, I would measure up against other things in Challenger. But, uh, as I think the now U23, especially pro, like, it's, I, I don't know, it, it feels like um, it's a difficult, it will be increasingly difficult. I think if you've still not got the right pieces, I think the right pieces become even more valuable. But I think part of the thing is at the moment, is that a lot of them are unknown. We don't know who the best ones will be next year yet. Whereas That's exciting, being it? Season, maybe that was less the case. I'm like that as well. A lot of my U23s kind of rotate, can rotate into Challenger. Most of my U23s are from Challenger, apart from a few uh, Asian cards, really, and, and a couple of Americans. But most of them are Challenger U23s, apart from, a f- yeah, those, those few, and a few that moved recently, like Eric Martel, who's going to be playing in um, the Bundesliga and... Yeah, a few a few of my cards have moved into like Champ. That remains to be seen. Like Champ is a bit of an unknown quantity to me until the teams start playing, and I can see how potentially strong that is. And it might be for me that like I end up letting go of some of those high tier Champ cards that I've got because I don't know if I'm going to be able to compete until the season starts. Really, and it will it will boil down to things like even like you said, like the Liverpool stacks. If Liverpool start the season absolutely flying again, it's almost like not worth joining in, is it? But, no, um, not at all, yeah. man. We're getting super close to the season now, so it's all, all getting pretty exciting. I know Quinny's waiting for that that game week. I've seen you on your streams, mate. I can't wait, man. Two ninety two. I've been I've been building and rebuilding the teams like a madman. And you know the most exciting thing that happened to me today, other than hanging out with you two gentlemen, of course, was um, like for twenty minutes, Twitter went down. It was like pandemonium in my life. I was like, oh my God, am I being hacked? Am I being like cyber attacked? I know, you know, what's going on? <laughs> Get my phone out. Is Twitter working on my phone? And then talking to people, what's going on? Is Twitter working? Is it me? Is it the internet? What's going on? Oh. How do we know if Mishu signed for Celtic or not? That was the question. How do we know if <laughs> <laughs> oh, on, on that note, I, I think really that's that a perfect cool. way to round us out. Uh, Techers, it's been great having you on. Um, You've had a great, a great, a great. Um, what's the word? A great performance in uh, Tony's absence again. Tony's going to be fighting for his place in the starting lineup uh, once his preseason is finished. But, uh, yeah, it was I good having you on. Still do a job in the SPL, you know. Yeah. Play up to the big man. Um... Playing in front of Dylan Levitt, getting some points, mate. Would love that. That's it. Uh, Quinny, always a pleasure, never a chore. And uh, to everyone listening, good luck. Um, this week new game weeks and we'll be back again next week with another episode cheers